Hey, hey, everyone. I'm your host, James Jackson, and this is ArtCast. Join me each episode as we focus on the challenges and opportunities our category management and shopper insights friends face while in the trenches. If you're ready, let's dive right in. Today, I am really excited because I have one of my friends, Sylvia Wolf, who's here from Aquabody, where she's the president of this publicly traded company. Welcome, Sylvia. Thanks, James. It's an honor to be here. Thank you. So Sylvia has an incredible career journey. Um, she has done a myriad of different positions uh, in the industry, um, actually both on the, the food side as well as the food service side. Um, and she is now really steering a, a really interesting organization. And we'll, we'll talk about that a little later as well. Uh, but before I really get started, Sylvia, I was hoping that you could go a little further in detail on, on your career journey, and then we'll get started. Let's get in the trenches. Thanks again for having me. Um, so, you know, when I think about my career and how it's evolved over time, I think the one constant is very early on, I really recognized that I loved business. I just love business. Um, it's, it's what makes the economy move. It's what provides, you know, livelihoods for people. And so that really drove me into a business career starting in college. And I started in finance because I believe that business is all about keeping score. And that's what finance and accounting does. And so I actually started in a cost accounting and then financial planning role. And that evolved into um, market research when I went back and got my, my MBA because I started to recognize that the broader world of business, you have to think about the customer. And that has been a consistent theme throughout my career is how do you build a business that's customer centric? How do you make sure that you are in fact putting points on the board, which are dollars to the bottom line. Um, and so that is how I've developed my career. I didn't stay with any particular organization. It was more about I chose career moves based on uh, the opportunity to continue to build that business career because I knew ultimately that my goal was to be in general management and or you know run a company or a business line. And that's so I've had roles in, as I said, finance and accounting, marketing. I actually asked um, one of my mentors um, if I could move into a sales role. And I still remember him say, looking at me and saying, you don't want to do that. Then you have to deal with customers. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I do want to do that. I think you want to be on the front lines because if you're going to run a business, you need to think about what that looks like from a sales perspective. I've had operational roles. I've done M&A. And most importantly, I think to this conversation is how I got involved with category management, because at the end of the day, category management is putting together an assortment um, that's relevant to a customer, right, or a consumer. And then how do you make sure that you're positioning that assortment appropriately so that you're driving them to that category and, you know, that they're picking your products? Yeah, that that that's great, um, and I'm glad you jumped into category management. You know, we we had a conversation prior to the show, and one of the questions that I asked was, "Well, well, how did you get exposed to category management?" And you you actually gave a, a pretty interesting answer. So, if you could share that, that would be great. 
I think my first exposure to category management was I went to work for Pillsbury and Pillsbury is a big retail organization, although I was in food service. And so we were trying to think about category management in that particular channel based on the excellence that they had on the retail side. But I think most relevant is the experience that I had at Sara Lee. So I joined Sara Lee Coffee and Tea. And so it was also predominant in the food service channel. But just as I joined the company, they bought six coffee companies to consolidate their position in the coffee space. And that included retail brands like Chock Full of Nuts, Hills Brothers. Um, And so what we did was we really had to think about the category and the product line specifically as we merged all of these businesses and brands. And the way that we started to think about it was to apply category management principles to those categories so that as we integrated those businesses, we were coming up with a portfolio that was compelling to our customer and to their consumer or their patron uh, in the case of food service. And I think category management principles are relevant both in the retail segment as well as the food service segment. And so it was really because we we had these businesses and we had to figure out how to integrate them and extract the value for them um, that led me to really think through how do we apply those principles to this particular opportunity? Yeah, you know, it was funny. So when you said that, you know, I think we we tend to think about category management and direct it at a retail store or direct it at a food service organization or distributor. I never really stepped back and thought about it. you could do that internally too at a at a manufacturer, you know, and still have that that optimal assortment as you mentioned. So I thought that was really fascinating. So so once you did that, you you made another step in your career, and and so if you could walk through that because again now you're kind of engaging with a retailer and, and talking in a in an interesting space within the store as well. Yes. So after I um, left Sara Lee, I joined Tyson Foods and I joined um, actually on their food service, in their food service business and was um, in charge of both brand communications and product management. And so again, the ability to think through what are those, what's the meaning of those categories and what role do they play? And then I was moved on to the retail business, um, specifically in the deli. And it was at the time when retailers really wanted to compete for the traffic that quick service restaurants had. And so they were rethinking what is, what's the, um, the purpose of a category? And then how do we think about it transformatively? And how do we surround it with what will make it successful? We think about shopper insights. We did a lot of work on foot traffic and really attracting people to the deli and being able to think about the category and um, new products, for example. Um, It's old hat today, but back, you know, I hate to say this, 15 years ago, it wasn't as common in the deli to see prepackaged foods, you know, know, take home meals. We we actually went over to, to the UK because they had a lot of fresh kinds of prepared foods in the UK and we wanted to learn what could translate to the U.S. Now, we're much larger in terms of the geography, but it was really about what products and, and how do we think about the categories like rotisserie chicken and you know deli meats? How do we drive consumers to the deli and how do we make sure that we have the right assortment, the right insights, 
to be able to make sure that we're capturing that consumer dollar. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's interesting because I think back then was when you really started to see kind of the channel blurring. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you saw it not only where we were thinking, hey, you've got grocery products in a, a drugstore or, or what have you, but the reverse was holding true as well. Um, and, and so you've talked a lot about food service. This is one of our first episodes where food service has really been a conversation. Um, but, you know, I, I also had an experience um, on the food service side and food service is somewhat a little, if you would agree, a little behind retail when it comes to category management. But you led an organization that was definitely focused on bringing category management into the food service arena. So it would be great if you could kind of walk through a little bit about that experience and maybe some of the things you learned on that side. Sure. You know, I joined U.S. Foods um, at the time that we were owned by private equity and they had brought in a new CEO who previously had been the CEO of Loblaws. And so you think about private label, right? They really did create the private label category in a way that was brand, you know, almost branded, right? Um, it was the Loblaws brand. And one of the um, the ways that he wanted to rethink food service was to bring in category management talent that he had worked with um, when he was running Loblaws. And so the person that brought me into U.S. Foods had actually run category management. He was the chief merchant for Loblaws. And so when he came to U.S. Foods, he started to think about category management the way that a retailer would, even though it's re- it's different because it's showing up on a menu, right? And so how do you translate some of the principles of category management, right assortment, right, you know, right messaging, positioning, all of those things and building an analytical capability that no other food service just because you think about it, a food service distributor is a retailer. I mean, they're the same. And so how do you take those principles, the analytics, the data to be able to drive the right assortment based on the customer type? Um, and it was a very successful strategy. I ran meat, seafood, produce. Um, those are what we considered the fresh categories, and they drive a lot of the other, the purchase of other categories. And so we started to look at the relationships and really thinking about the basket, the way that, you know, you think about, um, just the way that you do at a retailer. And it was, it was a highly successful strategy. It's one of the reasons I believe that Cisco came after U.S. Foods to try to acquire it. Um, is because that whole methodology changed the game. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember those days very, very well. Um, so within that process, though, because it was fairly groundbreaking, um, without disclosing too much proprietary information, what what type of challenges did you face? Because even though, like you said, a distributor acts like a retailer, it is different. Um, so what are the, some of the things that you face, whether that's internally or potentially even some of your partners, like your manufacturers, when now you don't have that relationship that's about more holding hands together versus data-driven customer insights type um, relationship? Internally, it was food service had been a gut-based decision business. And so, you know, I know what my, I know what my customers need. I talk to them all the time. But if, if all you know is what you know, you may not be asking your customer the right question. 
And so when data was introduced into the process, um, it opened people's eyes, but we still had to overcome a lot of that inherent customer relationship um, component to the business. And because they always said, you know, it's a belly to belly business. And it, and it is, and it is, uh, but it also using data and analytics can help inform what's best for that customer because you understand them from a different perspective and you can compare them to like customers. Similarly to the way that you think about demographics and the way you think about shoppers and consumers, because consumer becomes a shopper when they enter the store, right? And so there's a, you have to make sure that shopper behavior is aligned with, you know, the consumer demographic. And it's very similar if you think about restaurants, we'll just use them as an example, you know, like restaurants have like menus. And so looking at what's successful, looking at their pricing strategies, all of those can be informed by data. And so that was probably the biggest challenge is how do you think about it more analytically? How do you help people overcome the importance of the customer relationship, the personal customer relationship? And then when you think about your your supplier partners, um, it is really making sure that you understand who's going to be the category leader, right? Who's going to be the, who's going to own that category, but also that you don't get all the business because you're the category leader, right? Is we need to make sure that we've got the right assortment and that you're, there are other vendors that play roles in that category. How are we going to make sure that we have the most efficient, effective assortment, not necessarily based on one vendor? And so that was a big change as well. Yeah, I, I saw it firsthand as well. Um, so, you know, one of the reasons why I, I wanted to have you on today is because you have seen category management from its infancy and, and to today. And you've seen it both from working within an organization and pulling some of the levers to now um, running an organization and having category management embedded in that organization. But holistically, what do you feel is the value of category management for an organization? Let me start with what I believe is fundamental to the success of category management. And that really is customer centricity and, you know, or customer and consumer centricity, right? You need to make sure that you understand your customer and you need to understand the consumer and the shopper that is interacting with that customer. And if you lose that, you will never be successful in category management. It's not an exercise. You've got to make sure that you constantly have an eye on, you know, who's walking in the store and why, you know, what are those, what, how do they make those decisions in terms of what to buy and how to build that basket? Because that's what the customers, the retailers going to care about or the distributors going to care about. So I'd start with that. Um, and, and I think if you build from there, the principles apply. And then it, for the benefit for the organization is I become a much more effective and efficient partner. And that puts me ahead of my competition. And at the end of the day, that's what you're really looking for for your own organization is how am I positioned as the partner of choice? Great. Great. So I, I mentioned this evolution from, you know, early nineties until now. Um, things have really changed or accelerated, especially over the past couple of years. Um, one thing that really has come into play is omni-channel. And I think we, we did talk about that a little. 
What are your perspectives on category management as we have changed and omni-channel becomes a much great, a much larger portion of the business and of kind of our, our, um, our time spent uh, within category management? I think the, lo- the biggest impact has been the consumer can now choose different ways to experience the category. And so that forces you to think differently because that experience may look different, right? When they walk in a store and they see a shelf set or they, you know, you're looking at shopper attitudes, you need to think about the same way in terms of your e-commerce sites and how you're interacting with them um, digitally, right? And so I think that the omni-channel is forcing category managers to think about, you know, what does that look, what are the similarities, what are the differences, and how do I position things appropriately, depending on whether it's in-store or online? Um, to me, those are the those are the opportunities and the challenges that we have to solve for right now, um, because the consumer's going to drive. And But you want to be able to have that relationship um, with that consumer or that shopper. And so how are you going to do that effectively, depending on where they're experiencing your product lines? So when you look at um, hiring somebody within a category management organization or a category manager specifically, what do you look for? What are the type of people that you hired or would hire for roles in your organization? First and foremost, I think category managers need to be analytical in their approach because I think that you're making stronger decisions based on data. But that being said, I think that they need to be sensitive to, um, again, that consumer, that shopper, which means that they need to ha- they need to be intellectually curious um, because I think that's what it's going to take to blend with that analytical skill set is I'm, I'm a constant learner. I'm curious. How can I think about things differently? And then, you know, will the data support my hypothesis? So those are the two qualities that I would look for in a category manager. Got it. Got it. Good. Good. So, so we've, I I hit you with a couple of different questions in the trenches. Um, Now I want to let you come up for air, take a breath. Finally, coming up for air. A couple of fun questions. Learn more about you. Uh, So you talked about general management was a focus of yours, but you also have another passion. You know, I, I'm passionate about agriculture. And the categories that I that I managed previously, or the companies that I've worked for, like Tyson, you know, they all um, stem from agriculture. And I think one of the hardest jobs in the country is to be a rancher or a farmer, because it, you know you're dealing with all kinds of of challenges. Um, it's just, it's a fascinating business. A lot of them are family, still family owned and operated. And so agriculture is a passion of mine. I actually am on a, um, a board that cheers ag and environment in the biotech industry, because I think that agricultural technology is going to evolve more rapidly than others, other areas um, of business. And the reason is we always have to feed people. And we have to do it in a sustainably uh, a sustainable fashion. So you think about, okay, 
how am I going to make sure that we don't have global starvation? And how am I going to do it in a way that doesn't continue to damage the planet or is forced to deal with what we're, you know, with climate change? Um, and how do I do that effectively? And so to me, it's a fascinating space right now and one that I'm pretty passionate about. Excellent. Which probably leads to what you're doing today. <laughs> so if you could share for our, our audience uh, a little bit about Aqua Bounty and what's happening with your organization. Aqua Bounty is a land-based aquaculture company. And what that means is we raise our fish in a land-based tank farm, in a biosecure environment that where we can build them any place that we have access to the right kind of water. But the other component to our business is the biotechnology side. So we market the first genetically engineered animal approved for food use. We went through 25 years of testing and approval before our salmon, it's a salmon, was approved for food use. And I believe that that's the future. I know there's a lot of talk about GMOs, but I, I guarantee you using biotechnology responsibly is going to allow us to meet the challenges that we have in terms of food security and you know the challenges that we have to protect the planet and why wouldn't we use those tools you know in a well-regulated and safe way to solve those challenges because we have the we have the knowledge we we understand you know dna look at what happened with um the vaccine and i know there's all kinds of controversy but we never would have had a vaccine come to market that quickly um, and so I think we need to use those tools in the toolbox. And I'm proud of my organization because it combines the ability to bring a healthy protein, our salmon, affordably and accessibly to large populations that may not have that accessibility. And we're applying science and data to be able to do that responsibly. That's that's wonderful. And yeah, there there's definitely... Um, an opportunity as population grows and 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 so on that um that that need for sustainable food options is is a is paramount it um, is so so last kind of fun one for you um a little more personal but you you shared with me that you enjoy nature and you take walks what's the name of your dog and what kind of dog do you have so my dog's name is snickers and <laughs> She is a mutt. We have always had rescue animals. Um, so she's our third rescue dog, and we have our sixth rescue cat. His name is Smokey Robinson. Uh, cats are always named after uh, rock and roll stars. Um, but the dog's name is Snickers, and she we have no idea what she's made up of. But she was a, she was a, a rescue, and we brought we she's what they call a senior because she was four when we got her. So typically they're not adoptable at that age. Um, but we love her. And she's, she goes on lots of walks with me. Snickers and Smokey Robinson. Love it. Well, that's a great way to end the show. Uh, Sylvia, it's been awesome. I really appreciate it. I think people who are listening are very appreciative um, that you'd spent the time uh, because you do have kind of a, a different perspective you, being a leader of an organization and understanding the components of that organization and how category management really drives things or, or really contributes is is something I think we all needed to hear. So we appreciate the time. And for those who are listening, we thank you for joining us on this episode with Sylvia. And uh, 
We are, again, looking for other compelling stories about compelling people. And so with that, thanks for joining us. And this is ArtCast. We just want to thank everyone for coming out and listening to our ARC podcast. Please look forward to our next upcoming episodes as we bring more intriguing and insightful guests to our podcast. And don't forget, you're not alone. Have a great week.